You know what the most important element of humor is? The Incomparable Podcast, number 110, October 2012. Welcome back, everybody, to the Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the just-concluded first half of the latest season of Doctor Who, which is now split in half uh, with part airing in the fall, which just finished, and then another part airing in the spring after the Christmas special, which is the next time we will be seeing Doctor Who. Joining me to discuss this uh, interesting five-episode mini-season are... Glenn Fleischman. Hi, Glenn. Hello there. Hello. Uh, also here, Dan Morin. Hi. Hey. What's up? Hey. Wow. Hey. Hey. Wow, that I've was good. Smoking some cigars. Yeah, Dan Morin, <laughs> our garbage truck driver. Uh, also joining us is the uh, ever pleasant Scott McNulty. Hi, Scott. Hello. It's nice that you also watch television and don't just read books. Sometimes I do both at the same time. That's crazy. It's crazy. It's madness. And, of course, uh, he would not uh, dare to be missed on this episode. It's John Syracuse. Hi, John. Are we doing Dalek impressions on this one or not? Because I just want to know how excited I should be. We can. We should do Rory impressions. I'm doing my uh, Weeping Angel impression right now. I'm getting less excited by the moment. <laughs> and, and and to be fair, he starts at a pretty low-level Low excitement. Low-level excitement, so. yeah funny about that i'm only excited when you're not looking at me (laughs) john is a weeping angel of joy that's good i like that um so uh we did a flash podcast about the first episode of this five episode set which was um the uh, asylum of the daleks uh so you can look that one up we we did that and and spend a about an hour talking about it so i thought we would go through um the other episodes, unless there's somebody out there who's got a, a, a another axe to grind about Asylum of the Daleks, I thought we would move on and talk about the other four episodes. Um, hearing no grinding, I will move on. So the second episode in the in the this mini season was the literally titled "Dinosaurs on a Spaceship." Uh, if you don't remember which episode this was. It's the one with the dinosaurs on a spaceship. <laughs> uh, to recap, after that, we had they're all all these uh, four word titles. There was a town called Mercy, which is the western. There was the Power of Three, which is the story about uh, an invasion of boxes. And then we had the Angels Take Manhattan, which aired. Uh, I like most it, recently I liked it better when the Muppets did it. Ah, you beat me to it, goddamn it. <laughs> I, I want to start with dinosaurs on the spaceship. I, I um I I thought this was a clunker. I, I didn't like this one. Um what? but there at there all. were dinosaurs and they were on a spaceship. Nefertiti was there for no particular reason. For no reason and that and some some dude who was like a an adventure dude. It was it, it was uh Lestrade. Yeah, well, that it was. It was Inspector Lestrade. It, it was on a spaceship with dinosaurs. Uh I have to say there the, the the only thing that I really thought was the most redeeming thing about this episode was I really loved Rory's dad. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He's super fantastic. awesome. I just, what a great, what a great piece of casting and what a great, I mean, he may be my favorite thing about this entire little mini season, I have to say. I just, I really enjoyed him. I, I enjoyed him too. It's like Rose's mom, a sort of background character. Well, I, he reminded me of Wilf, actually, which was oh, yeah. another one of my favorite characters. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. No, it was, um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was really the only redeeming thing in this episode. I thought. I thought it was. Uh, uh, in fact, in some ways, the worst of the uh, Russell T. Davis era. Um, let's take a high concept that we know is sure to be sure to please the kids, and and honestly, dinosaurs Squander on a spaceship. Yeah, and honestly, dinosaurs on a spaceship might have worked as that core story, but it isn't just that, right? It's about fifteen other things poured in here. Right. There's it's some point in the future on Earth, and the Indian subcontinent is now in charge of of. Earth's space. defenses. Space. They're just in charge space, of space. Space, which is a nice touch. And apparently they make nuclear weapons that, once locked on, there's nothing you can ever do again. Because you always want to, as with the Asylum of the Daleks, you always want to make sure that once you've triggered something, there's never, turn under any circumstance, a way to turn off. Because you'd never want to do that, as we know. Surely. Even if you want to do it later, you still don't want to do it. And there's, don't call me Shirley. And there's Nefertiti, and there's, and there's the adventure guy, and why are they there? And then they get Rory and Amy and Rory's dad, which is funny. Now, we're not mentioning, isn't there something obvious we're missing here, too, which is we have two Harry Potter actors in the same episode, which I was kind of looking forward to, and they never got to be in the same scene together, just about. That's Very true. little. Yeah. Because I love, I think two of the best characters in the Harry Potter franchise are, in fact, the- uh, the Mr. Weasley. Uh, Mr. Weasley and uh, the, an Argus Filch. I think he's a great character in the book. He's a great actor. That's the fellow who played, was it uh, Solomon in the episode- yeah. His name is David John Bradley. I have looked it up. He reminded um, me of um, uh, anybody remember that episode, the Mo- the most toys, that episode of the uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. <laughs> yes, yes. Where, ah, yes. where Data is Kimis Fajo. Yes, where Data is collected. Solomon in this actually reminded me of that character. He's a he's a guy with a spaceship, and he's really just a thief, and he's he has no redeeming qualities. And what's interesting about this episode is that in the end, the Doctor uh, basically just uh, kills him. Which, yep. when he's completely defenseless, and he's an awful I, guy who's killed lots of people and maybe even made the Silurians extinct, but uh, kind of a, kind of an extreme end. It makes you wish for the days of you know the Doctor who was just so clever that they could come up with the perfect the perfect punishment that was worse than death, right? And something or like just something right. really appropriate that but like that's something that's clever as opposed to it was very crude. We're getting out of here and you're dead as opposed to the, you know, look, he tries to save Davros, right, over and over again. And you're like, Davros invented the Dala- Daleks. The, what are they called again? Sorry, the Daleks. And uh, that's just my habit, as you yeah. know. Uh, and he won't save this guy who's just avaricious and sort of a pain in the ass and killed he killed thousands of Silurians. Davros is responsible for, you know, billions of deaths and whatever. And you're like, the threshold has changed when the doctor just says, all right, hey, we're going to touch this thing and we're gone and you're stuck. Well, I always expect the doctor to appeal to the better angels of our nature. And uh, in this, he does. Foreshadowing. And, and, and honestly, this is, yes, uh, this is actually another Russell T. Davis thing that I wanted to bring up where I feel like this, this whole mini season felt like the David Tennant specials era to me where there are these standalone stories. There's no real ongoing plot. It's leading What's the only ongoing plot is that you know it's leading to a conclusion where actors leave the show, um, but otherwise but there's not a there's not a real plot reason for it, which is unfortunate. It's very contrived. Yeah. It, otherwise, we're just advancing toward an ending, and then in in the one thing that was kind of interesting about the the that era with the the with David Tennant was that there was this whole talk about how he was losing his connection uh, to humanity by not traveling with a regular companion. And so that keeps coming up here, except, of course, he keeps traveling with Amy and Rory. So it kind of doesn't make any sense. And yet you have this whole 
it, it really which seemed inserted that was like you must always travel with someone or you're gonna you're kind of losing it but i never felt like it was real i felt that it was just contrived it was not as well executed as the david Tennant era where to me that that contains that arc contains one of the most just chilling and depressing scenes in doctor who but well executed which is the scene where he rescues adelaide oh, yeah. right from mars oh and then yeah goes back and then she kills herself right because he screwed over the timeline um and that that was effective that worked it was really really wrenching to watch that and especially that scene where he realizes basically what he's done and you don't get that emotional gravitas here i wanted it i wanted to see it you don't get it if you're going to have the doctor just uh, have some missiles blow a guy up because he doesn't like him, um, th- it reduces it to the to the cartoon hero. Yeah, it, he used to do the thing where, like, like you said earlier, find the punishment that's worse than death. What he actually used to do was like the equivalent of like the Time Lord Shabbat device where it's like, well, I can't kill you. But by failing to act <laughs> yes. in this manner, I will I, I will cause this lever to fall over, which will cause the oven to turn on. You know what I mean? Like he used to do that, which I thought was a cheat. So I'm glad to see him kill somebody. But like Dan said, the, the, I know what they were going for, but they didn't get it because he did all his traveling alone off camera. And we didn't see that. You're saying the companions are in part his Shabbos goys. Yeah, well, no, they don't. They don't do the work for. Sometimes him, they do, though. Sometimes, they yeah. Do. Sometimes it's just it's just physics that does the work for. Him. That's pretty funny. I can't kill you, but all these people I travel with might, or perhaps the random circumstances of nature. It would be a shame if something happened. Anyway, I thought this was. I, I don't know if there's somebody who wants to speak up for it, but I, no. I, I just I no. I this one. Who will speak for the dinosaurs? Who will? Uh I mean, no one. They're all dead. I like the pre- the fundamental premise of like, yeah. there's a ship. Why is there a ship full of dinosaurs? And there's like, if there were Silurians, maybe they would take the the extinct, soon to be extinct races away and and try to take them somewhere else. And that was kind of fun and interesting, and yet completely squandered on all of this other junk. Well, I'm sort of pe- yeah, I'm sort of peeved. I'll tell you, like, this is a meta thing without talking about other episodes yet. Is I'm sort of peeved about how many great concepts there were this season that just were pissed away, basically. And this is one of them. You're like, okay, we have the Slurian set. We have the Doctor saying, I've never had a gang before. I'm going to try a gang. You're like, okay, you know, you're yeah. right. There's rarely a time except that season enters where he's got a bunch of people. It's a silly premise. You know it. He, they actually sort of sold it because we've seen the Slurians multiple times. We know they come back. They you know resuscitate on Earth at some point from last season or the season before, really. Where um, we know they'll live, they'll cohabitate with humans and blah, blah, blah. We know all this. The Silurians are a recurring element of the universe. And then he's like, oh, well, we found a bad cube. Um, this is also one of the first Doctor Whos I can remember where they can talk to a computer and it does things they want it to. It seemed very Star Trek. I've not recall any episode in which they didn't have to do some weird hand waving. They're like, computer, yeah. where are things? Here they are. What well, happened? There were, there were a couple you know? amusing. I did, I was amused by the Amy. Like, wasn't that the scene where she, like, starts typing on the computer, like, well, if I've learned anything from the doctor, just start pressing buttons until something happens. <laughs> I mean, there there were there were a couple of redeeming lines here and there and stuff like that. But, yeah. yeah. Amy was used effectively because this is the episode where Amy's like, I know how to do this now. And that, that was that was, again, if there's a story arc here, it's the fact that Amy has now been traveling with the doctor so long that she can do his job, which is very much like sort of how Rose ended up at the end before she left. And and I, that's kind of a rite of passage almost. It's like once once you're no longer really the companion, you're actually being the doctor. It's time for you to go because there's you know that that's the end. You you've progressed all the way, and and that was good because she's very capable. She she's able to do you know to do everything and tap into the computer and do every everything she needs to do. I should also say that Mitchell and Webb, the great comedy team, 
um, oh, yes, are squandered here in this ridiculous like robots who are like robot children, robot babysitter children things. It was yes. really disappointing. Like the uh, Doctor Who universe needs to invest in better robotic design because <laughs> every robot we meet is just completely worthless. Yeah, I guess that's the, the, the overall overarching message of Doctor Who, which is robots are, are rubbish. They also, I think they lost the opportunity to do some Jurassic Park stuff. They have the raptors come and it's like, let's get some guns and shoot at them and we'll be fine. Even though for no reason we're standing here fending off like eight of them or whatever. It was just like, whatever. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, I, I think a Moffat, uh, uh, a flaw and you know, if you're going to have a flaw, I guess having a flaw where you, where you try to stuff way too many ideas in an episode, I guess is <laughs> not the worst flaw you could have, but I feel that again and again, that he takes these, you know, it, it, it's almost like he's just got to his to again, to his credit, he's got like a giant vat of ideas and and there's a tube that runs out of the vat and he's got a spray gun and he just sprays oh. the ideas. And, and this episode wasn't written by Moffat, but it has that same feel of like, I, I feel like I feel like his style. I feel like his style encourages this spray gun. that's just spatter of ideas and 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 dino, dinosaurs on a spaceship again, full of ideas. None of them really hanging together and none of them fully realized. So. The one thing I did like was the compendium that Solomon had, which was the value of everything in time and space. That's sort of useful. It's like a, you know, a comic book guide. It's like, Oh, I found an Nefertiti. Well, she's worth a fair amount. Better take her own then. And and that was of course, just a, an excuse to have it scan the doctor and he's not in it. And it, oh, he's deleted himself from all the databases. Shocking. Yeah. <sighs> all right. Well, there it is. Shall we move on? Please. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the Western. I kind of liked parts of it. Maybe that's because I'm a sucker for Westerns. Um, again, the plot stuff is kind of, I mean, eh. this is going to be a recurring theme where, where sometimes the, the redeeming things <laughs> in it are not the plot. Yeah. That, that has been the truth, the case for the entire season. <laughs> Isn't it the theme of Dr. Who, the show? That could be. Yeah. But they've, they've gotten away with it better before. You keep, you, you keep telling me that every time I complain about the plot, you're like, well, well Dr. Who isn't really about <laughs> yeah, the plot. No, but there's, there's times you can get away with that. And there's time where it's awkwardly detrimental. And here, I think for my, my part, my problem here was just that this one felt way too predictable. Like, you can kind of figure out where the whole thing was going with the doctor in about five minutes, right? Like, oh, he's he did something terrible, right? And now he's here to do atonement or whatever. Well, at least it had, I mean, it had that old Star Trek feel in the sense that it was trying to come up with a real moral quandary where, you know, you said you need to save this guy, but he's actually a criminal and you can save the village by turning him in and having him die. But, you know, you sort of. Uh, you can't do that. You need to you you need to be better than that. And that except it, it all got kind of messy. And Ben Browder, who is great. Yeah, the wasted again, another wasted actor. He was great in that little bit. Yeah, he was great. And then he sacrifices himself. And then the guy ends up killing himself at the end anyway. So why did he even bother? Why didn't the guy just let him just, uh, you know, and I got to say the plot. This Doctor Who episode was so um, it was just very thin in that the guy wasn't really threatening the town. Like you didn't feel like. It felt like the cyborg's going to get this guy, kill him, and you're done, and the town will be fine. And there was no sense that there was a menace beyond that, which is what makes science fiction great. Where you're like, oh, we're going to feed the virgins to the volcano, and the volcano won't erupt. Oh no, the volcano is still going to erupt. You guys made the wrong moral yeah. choice, and now you're going to pay for it. It's like, no, no. If you make the right wrong moral choice here, you'll be fine. Just move on and live with it. You'll get past it. And that could have been done better because they do have that moment where like. You know, the, the cyborg goes into the church and everyone's like, no, it's going to kill us. And it's like, no, none of these people are the people I'm looking for. Like, you're like, he said he was going to kill them all and then he doesn't. What the hell? 
Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but the yeah, but we kind of knew that we already knew that was going to happen in some way. Like, I don't think anybody was genuinely scared. He was the sad cyborg. Ah, uh, sad cyborg. I mean, like, I think, but I think I loved the I loved the production design of it. Yes, I mean, I liked the look of it. Um, again, there are some great scenes and a couple great interactions. Ben Browder is another great like you know guest star that they again wasted. But like, <laughs> there's all everything. He keeps putting all these ingredients into a bowl and mixing up. And you're like, oh, yeah, that looks good. That's going in. Oh, that looks good. That's going in. And then it comes out with, like, a pile of blah. <laughs> and it's disappointing. And a spaceship shaped like an egg. Yeah, they ran out of money on that spaceship. Oh, my God. It was, like, generic. Uh... It had Jonathan Winters in it. <laughs> There's this whole thing where he's chasing uh, the Isaac character, the sheriff, and Rory, right? And... His display does the Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, it says, no, percentage chance of harming innocent <laughs> life is 30, whatever, you know, retreat. And then the next moment he's out trying to shoot and kill them. And then he's called off by something else. And then there's the rocks. And you're like, why not just set up like we, you know, we, we didn't want there to be any collateral damage. And so his, he has override. So innocents are spared. But he managed to work around his programming. So I, as the, his creator, is no longer an innocent, even though we're not at war. I mean, one line. Instead, there's like, there's rocks. And he can't step over the rocks. No, he can step over the rocks. But why were the rocks there? We don't know. Well, he could step well, over. It, it was it, he set up that yes. uh, boundary, yeah, which it, still doesn't make any sense. Make sense. I don't I understand why. I mean, there's no reason a, he couldn't just walk in, right? Yeah, he should have just walked. He is a cyborg designed... To kill people, I don't understand why he doesn't just walk into the town. No one's gonna stop him. He feels bad about it and shoot the guy. Well, but that, that that could have been so good though is the thing. Like there could have been such a thing where you have like the town, like you know, oh, we're gonna surround this guy with innocent people, you yeah. know, because we believe like that. That to me would have been much more compelling. Is if they actually had you know some sort of reason why he would not like go and do this so their plots aren't important per se right they off it's the it's the show is fun to watch and the plots are a mechanism to watch the sort of fun interaction more so than us really paying close attention to the plot but when you i i stop paying attention to the plot and i ignore it as something silly if it's consistent and well constructed if it's a machinery that grinds away and surprises me at times when a certain kind of unexpected moral dilemma or other you know scientific thing comes up that's interesting the problem this season including this episode is there's too much time when the yeah. gears grind together and you're like oh come on i don't want to care about that and you're making me care about that you got a plot that's even not serviceable is the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like if a plot is serviceable, you can get away with it. But right. if, in the cases where it's actively being like, now wait, why? Yeah. Is no, like- you get you get the shovelware plot where where really there's so much stuff <laughs> shoveled into the plot that that they don't it doesn't actually line up or connect or make sense. But there's a lot of it. And I think it's dropped <laughs> beneath all of our Syracuse thresholds. Yes. Whereas, like, maybe John just does this all the time, and like now it's hit a point where the rest. <laughs> well, of see, you know, when they had the when they had the arc seasons, where like you know the the first season with Matt Smith, there was an arc to that season, right? On the arc ones, the the reason I'm able to get and stay engaged with those, despite the ridiculous plots, at least I have something to hold on to. Like, oh, there's an arc there. Like they're trying to say, oh, there's the girl who waited, and there's this thing going on, and there's something with the TARDIS, and then and, and there's a little pe- exploded piece of it, and the cracks. Like that's silly, but it draws you through the season, and then you can kind of push the stuff out but this season had no arc so all you're left with is that other stuff that you used to ignore while you concentrate on or at least i used to ignore when i concentrated on the arc stuff because if you think about their plots they're 
nonsensical and dumb. Well, they undercut themselves because he deliberately set out to make the standalone season. And in some ways, by taking out all the stuff that alludes to the arc, they have like probably like five, ten minutes of extra time in every episode. <laughs> Just like let's put more <laughs> stuff in there to make sure nobody's missing I anything. I mean, you can do st- good standalone episodes. I mean, there are whole shows based on good standalone. Yeah. You know, there's no right, reason absolutely. they can't do like Blink was basically a standalone episode. Like, there's no yep. reason yeah. you can't do it well. Agreed. But they, agreed. They didn't. No? no, that's that's what's frustrating is they set out to do a season without an arc except for us knowing that this was the last season for the companions. And they wound up, it's like, I think they just let the, the plot machinery is so clunky. It, you do get the sense that the, you know, again, and I, I, I take this back to Russell Davis because he used to make these pronouncements all the time during his seasons, which was, you know, he had this tendency toward the high concept and it was like, well, the kids will be playing it on the schoolyard. It's like, okay, that's fine. Um, done well, the adults will enjoy it and the kids will enjoy it too. I have no doubt that, you know, the kids in England were doing more cowboys stuff after the cowboy episode aired and talking about dinosaurs and spaceships after that episode aired. That's fine as it goes, but what else is there? And, you know, in this, in this episode, there was an attempt, there's something inside this episode that, about Mercy, right? Town called Mercy and about how you know in opposition to the dinosaur episode it's it, there's a, there's this attempt to do this moral quandary about do you protect this guy who's not innocent but you've given him your word that you'll protect him and can somebody be changed and can somebody be redeemed okay that's in there but it's executed so poorly and in the end it's completely messed up because he just leaves to go back to his little oval spaceship and kill himself and, you know, it's just, okay, all the parts are here to do a good story, and then it just falls apart. It's it's trite. Well, here's the thing that kills me, too, is I thought there was a great – the jail toss conversation between Jex and the doctor is actually quite wonderful. Where Jex is sort of almost teasing him, almost saying, like, look, you know, and I expect the doctor to say, no, I had that quandary, and my quandary was – Instead of creating killing machines, I became the killing machine. I am that cyborg. I killed everyone in my race and an entire other race, and I'm still living with that, and I had to do it again. And then I had to kill that race again and again and again. So I've been where you are, and so how does he have any moral superiority? I thought that's – it felt like they forgot the entire mythology of it, just like in Asylum of the Daleks where they forgot that Amy and Rory had a child. In this case, you forgot. It's like the doctor killed everyone, and he became – that killer in order to prevent the universe from being destroyed. He already made the moral choice and he's not engaging him in it. You're like, come that, It just felt lazy to have that in front of us. You know, those school kids in the playground. I, I don't think any school kids are playing anybody from this episode. Cause <laughs> I give school kids more credit than this. I mean, like there are, there are episodes where it's a cruddy episode. The plot makes no sense, but there's one character that piques your interest and that character yes. has spark. There's no yes. characters with spark. The doctor didn't have it. That stupid robot guy didn't have it. Like there's no equivalent of no, like Jex did. My son was intrigued by the robot cowboy. I have to say that because you know robot cowboy coming through. <laughs> he no, he was he was he was like oh oh it's like the robot cowboy. So I, I think there maybe is a little bit, but it's on that super simple level of like what if there were a robot cowboy? Okay, done. <laughs> How about a story about the robot? Co- no, no, we don't have a story, but we do have a, a robot. We have a robot. We cowboy. have a cyborg, and we're gonna put a hat on him. Will that be a robot cowboy? <laughs> Cyborgs in the old west. That's true. And, and once again, not a very good cyborg cowboy. No, no. But you, you and then for the last twenty minutes, you know that he's going to end up being the sheriff of the town, right? Yeah. Pretty yes. Yeah. And they, I, I don't even think they executed that very well. No, it's like it's like okay, so your your implacable your implacable hatred is now gone because everyone you try to kill is dead. What are you going to do now? It's like I don't know, wander in the desert and blow myself up. I have an idea. 
This town needs a Whoa. sheriff. <laughs> yeah, because I killed the last that's right. one. <laughs> and they'll surely trust. They'll surely trust you after you almost killed all of them. I'm sure they'll be happy to welcome you with open arms. Uh, and no yeah. one will ever question why there's a robot like sheriff. Some say he yeah, wanders those hills even now. <laughs> Fighting crime. Scanning face tattoos. Killing stuff. Wearing terrible special <laughs> effects on his body. Battling coyotes. Uh, actually, that's the, the uh, increase in tattoos in popular culture in the, in the <laughs> 2000s caused a series of terrible accidents where the robot sheriff had to kill innocents. <laughs> They were going yes. to Burning Man. They they they, had, <laughs> they just were passing through, but no. Yeah. <sighs> All right, let's uh, let's move on to the Power of Three, the Cube episode. Um, I you know what? I'm going to speak up in defense of this one. I like the cubes. Me too. I think I think it was the best episode of the season. Oh wow! You liked all of it from until the very end. I know I like the cubes. Not all of it. Not no. all of it. I thought yeah. Again, the plot part again. First two thirds. What makes it good is the, there are actually characters in this one. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting. <laughs> all the stuff with Rory and Amy and like having their other life and going back and forth. And there's all these just cubes showing up, and everyone's like, I don't know. That's weird. Like I I liked that setup. Like all of that was interesting. It was funny to see Amy and Rory bouncing between their real life and their life with the doctor. It was funny when the doctor had to come and hang out with them for a while and they just got so bored, you know. And I I mean, it, it was an interesting dynamic. You know, the doctor almost comes off as like, this is an increasing thing where the doctor comes off as like their kid, you know, oh, to yeah. a certain extent, because you have them as the parent figures almost. He is their son-in-law. Look, let uh, me ask this. Let me ask this. How many people liked the first like 80% of this episode? Everyone like it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it gets ridiculous the, yes. when the cubes actually open. And yeah, it's, yeah. Bo- it's the end is it's like terrible. finding out what's in the Pulp Fiction suitcase. It's like, no, that's not important. It's not important. Like what's finding in the out what's in that black cube. So, like Dan, I will defend this episode, and I. But but first, I will say the last twenty minutes or, or so is ridiculous. Yeah, it, okay. Literally, the Doctor goes up to a spaceship that was there before, but we never saw it, and then he takes a sonic screwdriver out and goes, and it solves the plot, and that's it. Right. So th- that's ridiculous, but. I like this episode because of the Amy and Rory stuff, because yes. of the idea of what what what's happening in a companion's life, and it's out of sync. There, there's some nice stuff in here about how they keep aging, but they keep coming back to where they began, so their friends are starting to wonder why they looked older. And there's sort of the doctor, there's some, some kind of lodger-flavored uh, stuff where the doctor's trying to understand human regular life, and he and he can't. Um, and and then the, the alien invasion itself is so weird and... And awesome. it kind of like uh, like unimportant, but just as below the radar, it's like obvious that it's happening and yet nobody cares. And the, the cubes end up being used as flower pots and things like that. I mean, well, and that's a brilliant premise <laughs> is the idea of like this is a planet that has been invaded so many times. But right? if, but if it's like, so boring that nobody cares, yeah, they're like, no, we can't. Do I mean, that's a great setup. They're playing the long game. The thing is great is aliens playing the long game. It's like sleeper cells. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you bring in you bring Roy's dad back again. Right. I love that he's watching the cube. Yeah, <laughs> like watching the cube like, the entire time. Yeah. It's day three twenty two. No cube movement yeah. thus far. Well, but he's so earnest. That's what's great about him as a character. They should have left the cubes around. That's what they should have done. It's like the end of this episode. Just don't pay should, it off. Should have ended with no with no resolution oh, of the cube situation because a then you can bring it back, which is totally a Doctor Who thing to do. That would have been impossible to sell, but it, I agree it would have been great. I kind of like it. Right, if it just ended and there was no alien invasion nope. and there was no resolution, that would have been kind of cool. Or an alien spaceship that is like a like the UPS of space. Uh, comes and is like, guys, did you find our missing cubes? Because we like lost those. But don't you feel like they, they even squandered this one? Because like in any 
remotely hard sci-fi thing. If little cubes come down and, and you know they're inexplicable, whatever, you you would have people like we're trying to cut into it. We blew it up with a nuclear bomb. We tried to crush it. We cooked it. They, we, they you do, know, are doing we that. They go to unit. Did. Units doing that. Nah, you know, like in, in an episode where inexplicable cubes come down, you have to like that's one of the thing. One of the directions you can go is someone figuring. And you can just say, "Fine, we're ignoring it. Someone else is dealing with that. We're not." But when the doctor is there, shouldn't he be like examining the cubes in some way other than looking at it? Like his level of investigation is similar to Rory's dad. Well, I took it as being that the doctor was was actually uh, didn't think that any of the investigation was necessary. He was like, look, all we need to do is wait around and they'll do something. Eventually they'll try to kill and us, And then right? we'll figure it out. <laughs> good, good strategy, good strategy. <laughs> well, uh, that's a very Doctor Who strategy, I think. Jesus, look, I'm the main character here. I I, I regenerate and I'm protected by the plot, so well, I'll figure it out. I, I've got a magic wand right here that I will wave and solve <laughs> it, so let's just wait and see what happens, right? And it's like, oh, what happens is disappointment. I like that little aside where they're at the the anniversary party and then he drags them away, you know, and they come back. How long were they gone? <laughs> Seven weeks, you know, like they've gone off and they have a little montage of the, the various adventures. Yeah. Like, how was I to know there was a big alien spaceship underneath the Savoy Hotel in France? <laughs> Don't you feel like you'd rather watch those episodes sometimes, though? Like they go off on those ones they do. They show one other scene. And you're like, oh, yeah. I would rather watch yeah. that episode. Would, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, but you know, if they executed that episode, <laughs> it would, would be, be bad, terrible. Right? <laughs> one third of the Earth's population is going to be oh, yeah. a heart attack because oh, you know, it was God. so terrible. And it was like, how oh, long were they dead? That they was were my de- they were dead for like an hour, and they all suffered terrible <laughs> They're brain damage. Fine. <laughs> They're fine. They're that fine. That was the part that got me. That part. Yeah, that, I was like, I was, uh-oh. I was texting Jason. You could have gotten away with that no, if but there was like two, yeah, like three, three, four seconds lag time. Jason, they were dead. Their brains. It's so, it's so, it's so bad. But and yet, and yet, I'll defend this episode because again, it ended stupidly. It was very enjoyable. I really enjoyed it up to that point I, because i loved the character stuff and it i found it charming and and like to john's point from earlier which is well if you don't have the plot what is left and the answer is in many of these episodes not much but in this one i i found it and th- this was to me actually this was the great use of amy and rory and of rory's dad and i wish there had been more of that this season because I felt like they, that for for this little five episode block that's sort of about saying goodbye to Amy and Rory, there could have been more of that. And in in fact, in some ways, this is the episode that makes me feel like you know sad to say goodbye to Amy and Rory yes, more than agreed. their final episode. Because this is I would have actually been happy if this had been their final episode yes. and the resolution had been we're too old for this crap. <laughs> yeah, well, stay. They made a choice, right? Like, yeah. and I love that the ending the actually was good with Brian, his father. Yeah, yeah. So what happens? You know, what happens oh. to everybody else who travels with you? And then later on, the whole you know take care of them because they're not going to give you up. You know, uh, that to me was more had more of that like emotional impact. Yeah, he had to be honest as he said. You know what happens? It's that thing, and you're like, you think back, how many campaigns have there been? Like twenty or thirty over the seasons, and you're like. Some are lost. Some are, you know, go on with their lives. Some, some forget me, to leave, and yeah. a few of them die. Like, yeah, and, and the ones thing he doesn't say is the ones that don't die don't remember me because most of them, most of them, <laughs> wind up forgetting me or brain erased another dimension. I mean, he's got multiple in different yeah. dimensions. So and, let's talk about the Angels Take Manhattan, which is the uh, the big capper. Uh, the Angels Take Manhattan, please. please. And, oh, so good. and the Daleks take Staten Island. Ha ha. Uh, this is the big farewell where the weeping angels come back and there's uh, New York City in the modern day very briefly. And then we're back to 30s New York. What is are the British obsessed with 30s? Manhattan? Like somebody else I know. 
Scott McNulty. <laughs> but you wrote this episode, didn't you, Scott? Admit it. I, I wrote parts of it. <laughs> Can you guess which parts? There are a lot of British actors, a lot of British actors who want to trot out a hard-boiled detective accent as well or poorly as they can. Oh God! The, that the, as soon as the narration came on, I'm like, that's a British person doing a really bad New York accent. I know they oh, so want to do this. Terrible. Now, Mike McShane, by the way, Mike McShane, American played, actors American. are available. Actually, American is American. Actually he was American. terrific. I love him. He's an old uh, um, improv comedian. It was on. Who's Lennon? Anyway, the uh, British run of it and uh, was in the Groundlings and I've seen him in some terrible films and I thought he was fabulous. I wanted to see much more. He was more the rich of, guy. Yeah, right? the rich, well, the mobster. He, he was, was the, mobster. Yeah, the mobster guy, yeah, right. Even, I, I didn't even see... understand what his point was. He was like the, I, he, wasn't he like the tool of the angels, like the pawn of the angels? It sort didn't even make of, sense. Sort of. It didn't make remote sense. No, he, was, he was a collector, much like, uh, once again, Kim is Fejo and he wanted to get ah, this, the, all back to the Star weeping Trek. angels. Exactly. For some reason, and then they the weeping didn't... angels can't break down doors. Yeah, well, that's apparently about. not, because uh, if if he were smart, he has a lot of locks. The doors have a eyes. lot of locks. But what does that even have to do with the whole like battery farm? I don't understand. Again, I'm so angry. How did they feed those people for forty years in that hotel? Room service? Yes, they have very good room service. Yes, close your eyes. We're coming in with your food. <laughs> close your eyes, and the food appears. <laughs> There's a core of interesting ideas here, right? There's oh, this. Yeah. There's a. There's the the book thing, which is played more for laughs actually than than for <gasps> the book is telling us our future. There was a little bit more of that. I liked the idea that the angels. If we've got this premise that the angels send people back in time and they feed on the time energy, we got that from Blink. So yeah. I like the idea that the angels have created a place which that's then a storehouse entirely. But the, yeah, but you're right. The whole idea should be that the angels just send them back in time. But this is like, well, now they cheat. They send you back in time and then they go find you back in time and they send you further back and then they you just kind of loop around and you know it was i, I thought it's like was, someone pointed out in the in the chat room just now it's the matrix it, right it like that's what bothered me about it is like i've seen that plot device three or four times right like in the last plus the corridors look like the matrix too right it looks actually like where neo gets his powers and and but i mean it's it doesn't like make wait, no, wait a minute. it doesn't make any logical sense you send them back once you maybe send them back further there's a point when the building doesn't exist and then why do you take care of them for 40 years until they die you kill them at that point. They're not nice psychopaths. They're psychopaths. Yeah. So it didn't make it. It's like you need to feed off the energy as they grow older. The whole maybe that's part of it and a plot point that wasn't added. I don't know. Well, and it makes them seem more scheming. And I think they're more threatening as just sort of this like, force, of, force nature. of nature. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's scarier. And like the fact that they're like, oh, now we are evil and planning things is like we have know, laughing cherubs that will get you. <laughs> I mean, those were creepy. Uh, the, those those were not scary. Those fat little kids. They they they. I think couldn't tell if they were trying to play them for laughs or not. But they were not. They were not scary. Although that one scene with the way he blows up the match, that yeah, was that creepy. Was good. I, I like that. give credit he, to that. Here's the thing too. The, this episode drove me insane. I watched it twice because I wanted to see if it made me. As, <laughs> oh, we were looking for the cause all these years. There you go. I'm sorry. This is what it drove me to German. It drove, it drove, it drove him insane. And then it, it sent him back, back in time. time. Yes. <laughs> Your room service will be there soon, Glenn. Okay, we're done. I'm actually only 15 uh, or or something. So the thing that drove me crazy in this episode is the invention, the invention of rules <laughs> that govern the entire universe that we've never been told about in the entire canon of the show. And the doctor the says based on. things that are I know, but this is this is ridiculous. Like if you read something or you see a gravestone, now it is immutable and there are fixed points in time, which has we've seen things change the gravestone, in fact, changes when Amy goes back at the end of the yeah. episode. It's it's absurd. Well, and it she violates. says, time, but aha, but time can be rewritten, to which he says, yeah, except sometimes not. 
Yeah, exactly. But I'm just like, but, the, well, why not go back to the TARDIS and try to save? If you read ahead, it doesn't suddenly yeah. you can't fix anything, even things that are. So that means everything ever written in a history book can't be changed because people have read it. Except Doctor, you change those things or sometimes cause them all the time. Well, so it irritated the heck out of me that they did that. They even changed the rules for the angels too. Like the one thing that the one episode that we liked, we all like Blink, and they said, "Well, guess what? We're going to change the angel rules." And the angel rules used to be if anyone is looking at them, they can't attack. The new rule is if you're not looking at them, they can attack you, but other people can be looking at them, which makes no, no, no sense. No, no, you wait. No, wait a minute they they framed it incredibly carefully i watched it the second time because i thought they were doing that and it's what they're what they're maintaining is that is that you it uh, like in the amy scene amy is blocking the line of sight to the eyes for the angels she's not blocking the line of sight she is they set it up they staged it very carefully it's but here's here's the uh the one refrediation to that the statue of liberty so no no but 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 scott this it tiptoes nobody tiptoes (laughs) it does not because it goes boom boom. then they both stop looking at it they both stop looking at it and it doesn't move anymore exactly they're looking to each other's eyes and the statue of liberty is like okay i'll just stay here because i don't have we don't have the budget to move me anymore so this is it i'm the set i can't move anymore also that was a plot device that had no point well they wanted they wanted to say wouldn't it be neat if the statue of liberty was an angel yes okay it was an idea right like again it's a premise that has like it doesn't deliver but i wanted to say about the points of glenn earlier what bothered me was the willful changing of the characters to make them act in ways that were out of character because we know they had to end up leaving because when the doctor's like come back to the tardis we'll figure this out there is no way amy would be like Oh, yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to commit suicide instead. Instead of, oh, you know what? That's great. Let's go back to the TARDIS and figure this out. Because that is what Amy Pond does, right? right? Like, it doesn't make any sense. It only makes sense if you think, well, she's leaving the show. So, of course, she's got to leave my, somehow. My contract running out. It's Must. a cheat. It's a cheat to have it try and pull emotional heartstrings that don't work because it's clearly a cheat. Clearly, the, you know, and I think we all saw this coming, right? That that when we heard that the angels are going to be in the last episode with Amy and Rory, my immediate thought was, they're going to send him back in time. That's or they're going to send Rory back in time because Rory always dies or <laughs> something, right? At least they at least they had a joke about that this time. Right. Which was, I gave them thumbs up for that. So so we all knew that that I think or guessed that this would be the way, and that's how this episode felt. Like we had the idea, which is I want to send Rory back in time, and then Amy makes a choice to be with him, and that's the end of their trip. And then everything else is predicated on that. But everything else is we have to find a way. Well, wait. Uh, we can't say that once you're sent back in time, you can't travel in time anymore because the Doctor and Martha get the TARDIS sent back to 1969 and then they travel in time. So let's come up with, a, you know, a time, some sort of time lock premise. And everything seemed to be reverse engineered to get to the desired result, kind of like the cyborg becoming the sheriff. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, none of it felt natural. And that that uh, the rules of the of the angels were actually being subverted in order to get uh to the destination. It means, I mean, I thought that the, you know, the emotional impact of the scene on the rooftop with Amy and Rory and Rory being willing to jump off the building and take the chance because he didn't want to be locked in that room. He's I thought always that was, willing to kill himself. Come on. That's his role in life. <laughs> I thought that was a nice, I thought that was a nice scene. And then I thought some of the shots of the, uh, of the angels chasing people and the lights blinking and all that were uh, effective. But as a story, it's just like a, a complete mess because they just, they know where they want to go. And then it's just a matter of back, backing and, and up to know. get there. And, and we, we know, know where, where they, they want to go. When they find, when you find out that he's been torturing the angel to see if it can hurt, whatever that means, the mob boss, you get that. And I'm thinking, oh, so the setup is there's a woman and a child across the street, the statues across the street that are watching. And you're like, 
they're going to actually humanize the angels. They're going to make this not be, you know, more implacable, implacable forces of nature. There's going to be, there's going to be negotiation. The doctor is going to negotiate because this is actually, he's watching them scream, right? You know, the, he, that's what uh, uh, River says, you know, they're screaming, you know, the others can hear him. And I thought, well, here's where you get this. These aren't just like, you know, yes, they're predators, but we're going to go deeper than that. And then no, this is squandered also. Well, if I were writing this episode, I would have had because I did like when Amy and Rory jumped off the building, but then I would have had them just die there, and the paradox just didn't work. Oops. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, that would have been really. I thought about that. I wondered if that was how they were going to get out of it, Bummer. and I was like, that seems too dark, even for this show. <laughs> but it would have been better. It would have been more effective. I thought the whole setup at the beginning sucked too. Like the whole private eye. I wanted that to be kind of more interesting, but it was just there for a, you know. Or is the one good part of the show? Uh, see, I, I know what I'm going to pick. To, if, I, if someone had to pick one good part of the show, what would you pick? Of this episode? Or is it people say there's none? The scene where Rory goes to get coffee. <laughs> <laughs> the River Doctor interaction and then the wrist breaking thing. Well, so at least one person picked the same thing. Glenn picked the same thing. I like River Song breaking her own wrist to get yeah, out yeah, of the yeah. thing and hiding it from yeah, the that doctor. Yeah, that was good. And then her reaction. I like that. Well, I like the idea of, of what if an angel grabs you by the wrist? What the heck do you do then? I mean, that whole that whole bit was good. And I like the scene on the rooftop. I like I liked I like that. that little that that was like the the farewell, the actual farewell to Rory where he Go ahead, Glenn, enumerate all the times right. Rory has died. Thank you. I I made a list out of curiosity. <laughs> And so have it's you, how many times twice? how many times has Rory died? And I count uh, nine no. or ten. So Mrs. Poggett kills him in Amy's Choice, which is a dream. The doctor blows up the TARDIS in Amy's Choice, which is a dream. He's actually shot by Raystack, a Silurian, in cold blood, and yes. he's really killed. But then this is where I say, I don't know if this is an additional one. He's also and then erased from, erased from the, from the universe. universe. Crack. Right. So I don't know. That doesn't count twice, but it's sort of like another kind of death. It's a twofer. He's shot by Canton in Day of the Moon, which is faked. He's drowned in The Curse of the Black Spot and then revived. That's real. Yes. He's found as a skeleton by Amy and the doctor's wife, which was an illusion. He, then, this is the best part. He dies of old age and angels take Manhattan. Then he jumps off a building and angels take Manhattan. Then he dies of old age and angels take Manhattan. <laughs> but it's one of those real twice? or Well, he dies twice. Twice are real. It was such a crappy scene in the, when they come back and then like, and then the angel pops out because it survived. Hey! It's there and he kills it, sends it back in time. Why? It's such a so stupid. I was expecting that last bit. I wanted to see the doctor actually take out the sonic screwdriver and have the angel crack into a million pieces because he's so angry. That's what the doctor does. He commits genocide when he's angry, and he didn't. He commits genocide when he's he angry. Does. That's a great that's he does. A title. He gets angry and he kills species. <laughs> terrible tagline. Well, I thought I did. I got a little misty eyed at the last part there because uh, so Amy, of course, throughout this whole time when Amy and Rory are together, you always think, well, she loves Rory, but she really loves the Doctor. Uh, and at this point, she makes a choice, and she chooses Rory, which I thought was very touching, because she finally... That was ended- last season. I don't know, they've also, they've done it a couple more times, but this is like the final one, <laughs> one assumes. Well, no, so, he's married. So just keep he's married to, Rory. He's married to her daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, they, they never were quite able to escape that specter, I think, of... It's the doctor and a fem- and an attractive female companion, and clearly there, you know, there's gonna be uh, sparks. Sparks will fly. He goes back on the ship. He says, "Oh, I'm sorry, they're your parents, and they're dead. I forgot." And you're like, "What the hell?" Is-? Doesn't he say almost those exact <laughs> what a words? Jerk. <laughs> but then also, when when Amy and Rory jump off the building, the doctor yells after Amy. He doesn't care about Rory <laughs> yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah, I and I thought that, that was a really good moment. 
because you think, well, that's kind of he's a jerk and he only yeah. cares about himself. You know, the rooftop, the the Statue of Liberty aside, I, the rooftop scene. I was disappointed that the rooftop scene was not the final scene. That that right. that we had they had to do the oh well, and we do this magic thing, and then everything is fine, and all the angels are defeated. Yay! Only it's not. <laughs> and I would have rather that been it. That they they jump and the whole thing goes kablooey, and they end up still being in the thirties. And for some reason they can't, you know, that's the end and they can't move anymore. But instead they come forward and then there's that ra- random angel in the graveyard. And Or even if they had this, then thrown it back to the previous episode where it's like they come back and, you know, if they had developed the theme throughout the entire thing where it's like, you know what, maybe maybe it's time for us to stop traveling. And then, you know, it gets too close, right? The end is like, that's it. That's too close. You know, we got to go back to our to our real life. Like even that. Would have been preferable. But River says, River points out she's got a vortex manipulator that can cut through time without it being a problem, (laughs) and they don't use it. And also, you have Captain Jack Harkness in that time. He's got a vortex manipulator. It doesn't work. And River can still go visit them. Right. Just the doctor who can't. And why why can't the doctor? So the doctor can't go to that time period at all, or he can't go to New York because can't he just take the the TARDIS to like Staten Island and then take the ferry? (laughs) (laughs) No one one wants to commute in from Jersey or Staten Island. Come on. (laughs) I was like, if you can't go in 1938, go in like 1942. I mean, they're still there. They've waited before. Was there a five year difference in their ages? Because I thought the the, the ages on the gravestone were like, oh, she missed them by a couple years, but she waited five years. Like that would be the better way to end it is to show them, you know, she just died later because women live longer. I figured that's what that was. That's the joke. Although they may, who knows what their real ages were, right? Because they've been aging and yeah, yeah, try to figure that out. If you're because if you're a time traveler, how do you even keep track of what your real Ages, right? How many I mean, gravestones have your age on them instead of the years of your life, too? Is well, that- TV gravestones, Glenn. TV gravestones, right? You know, uh, yeah. It it was. I was disappointed in the episode, and, and there were some things about it that I liked, but it just felt like overstuffed and over uh, trying to create a super dramatic ending. And I actually would have preferred something along the lines of, of the Power of Three that was a little quieter and uh, and just uh, does every severing of the doctor and his companions have to be uh, this operatic exercise i mean i guess the point of this season was that they've tried to slowly step away and they just can't do it but i feel like a much more adult and reasonable thing for amy and rory to do this married couple who's traveling with the doctor which is a rarity right would be for them to say you know what it's we're done we've seen it but we need to get on with our lives but they 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 can't do that though more to the point what would have made more sense about that is that this entire the entire Amy Doctor thing is a fairy tale. And like basically at the end, you get like the Peter Pan thing, right? Like I think the yeah. nice thing at the end would be like it's time for them to grow up and have a real life. Like that would have been the way out. And that would have worked so well with the last scene where he goes back and and there's that scene from Amy's first episode where young Amelia is sitting in, in her backyard with her suitcase in the morning and she looks and she looks up as if to as if she can hear the TARDIS, and then in the in the eleventh hour, it cuts to uh, grown up Amy. But did he actually go back? I couldn't figure that out. Uh, no, the implication in this episode is that he goes back and and tells her that while she's waiting, that she's going to have some great but adventures in the future. The right? entire timeline. <laughs> no, I don't. Th- I don't think it necessarily does because I, I believe Moffat actually was planning that from the beginning. But um, but. Uh, it's it's sweet, right? But but you're right, Dan. That that would be the way to do it. It's like it's time to grow up. We're married. 
you know, we've got our lovely house with the blue door that you bought that you got for us somehow, <laughs> you know, and and let's move on. Does it need to be like like with uh, every other companion, this kind of horrible uh, operatic, uh, you know, high high concept uh Goodbye. I, I, well, we got that with Martha. I mean, Martha. Martha essentially did that, and Martha the, did it. Yeah, the Sarah Jane send off and the David Tennant. You know, uh, the sort of last rounds. I mean, she, she. You know, she had her life, and he was saying goodbye to her, and she had kind of gone on. You know, she didn't come back with him, but they'd reconnected and then disappeared. So we've gotten some of that, but I think the problem is that when usually when the um, something selfless has to happen uh, for the for the companion to be killed or disappear. <laughs> And it didn't happen here. It was like a mistake. It was like an error. The doctor screwed up and let an angel slip through, or whatever. And so they didn't. Ha- they didn't do this to save the world. They didn't do this. The, the throwing themselves off the building saved all those people and maybe destroyed the angel's nexus. And God knows what's important there. But in this one, they're like, "Oh, it was a mistake." And now we're both gone. Yeah. Um, Can I say a few words about angels before we? Please, oh yes, yeah. please. Up? So the first thing is that I think the angels have become the new Daleks, which is disappointing. It used to be whenever they needed to have a big dramatic episode that would get the fans excited, they would pull out the Daleks. And then they did that for like five years. And now it's like, (laughs) all right, all right, enough with the Daleks, right? But everyone loves Blink. So then it's like, ooh, but now the new tool to excite the fanboys is to bring back angels. Uh, So that's problem number one with them. And problem number two is... uh, Angels are a good concept, but they think they work so well in Blink. It's kind of the same reason that the shark works so well in Jaws, because they, you know, didn't show it all the time. Yes. And now when the angels are constantly being showed with the big scary fang mouth, like you got to save that or not do it at all. Like, yeah, you have to keep them unhidden and off camera and they're just getting overused. And it's a shame because they're scarier by imagination, right? Like they're scarier when you you have to think about it and be like, oh, God, the angels are coming. You can't have it. You can't have a chase scene with angels so much. Like it's not. (laughs) (laughs) They don't move that fast. (laughs) I I like, well, they're very fast when you're not looking. But I I agree with Dan said earlier. Dan and I said simultaneously that they're when they're a force of nature and there are aspects of the. the Time of Angels episode uh, in Matt Smith's first season that I liked in the sense that it was still they they what they didn't do is send people back in time they broke their necks which was lame because that the cool thing yes. about them is they send them back in time but I did like that that was the you know we're in this place where there are all these statues and some of them are angels and we don't know which ones they are and 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 there was some of that creepiness there but you're right the more you see them the less value they seem to have they're yeah. better when they're this completely unthinking essentially just they're carn- carnivores they touch you they want to eat your time energy they they're a force of nature you can't deal with them you can't strategize you just have to survive and blink was great at that and the more we see them uh, you know this may be true with any of, with all these enemies right the more you see of them the kind of more ridiculous they are well the cybermen were ridiculous from the start so at least they don't get any worse they just stay the same yes. crappy <laughs> It's so embarrassing. The Statue of Liberty thing was it was like a turd in the pool. It was really like it was just it was ridiculous in the middle of an episode that didn't make sense anyway. You're like, come on. I was embarrassed by watching that, actually. There you go. You embarrassed me, Doctor, with your with your Statue of Liberty. Yeah. I thought it was a cool idea, but ridiculous in the premise yeah. that if you're looking at an angel, it can't move. So then the Statue of Liberty no would never move. How, how did everybody else in the city it was not night. like it was tiptoe catch it? Loudly. I mean, it made no. me think of uh, Cloverfield. So, so if you want to, yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. Well, if you if you want to if you want to do the Statue of Liberty joke, right? Think of the end of Blink. You know, it, it, why not have it? Why not do a thing where uh, there's a blackout or 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 people look away and then the Statue of Liberty is just gone or something? I mean, there could be a really great gag that's or like it <gasps> winks. Yeah, right. It's like, and yeah. that music from Blink plays, do, 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 and you're holding like, ah! the torch in the other hand. Right. That would be oh. funny, but to have it just sort of like clomp through the city, 
and then growl and make the you. scary face in the background while no one's looking at it. I have scary face. And that's, I mean, you could even have like some kind of story where that is the, the, the queen of the angels or something. And the doctor imprisons it there because that's the statue that people look at all the time. So it can never move. So it's always trapped there. I did like, uh, I I just realized, I remembered a a moment in the last episode that I did like a lot. So they're in New York, modern day New York, right? And obviously they paid to get people there. So they have to shoot in places in New York that people will recognize. So for no real reason, Amy and the doctor have this conversation that takes them from Central Park to Times Square to uh, the George Washington Bridge. And as they're talking, Amy's like, well, what's happened? And the doctor says, I don't know, we're in New York. And then they go to past New York. And I just thought that was a good uh, thing because there's no reason for them to be walking around these places. They're just in New York, so they have to show them. So so um, before we go... I wanted to at least touch on Amy and Rory as characters. Um, and uh, since we're saying goodbye to them, any, you know, sort of last thoughts about how they're, how, how you're going to think of these characters and, and, and how you think that, that, that story went. I, you know, I, I, uh, I ended up liking Rory a lot, which is surprising that he, he, he ended up being, you know, a, a funny, you know, loyal husband to, to Amy and, and honorable and always, Trying. And kind of, he got a, he got a couple scenes of badassness. Yeah, yeah. Well, being the, the centurion. centurion. Yeah, I mean, I, I he he was much more than I thought he would be, and you know, I thought Amy was a lot of fun. That she was capable and sassy, and and all the things that a Doctor Who companion needs to be. And she wasn't, you know, wasn't really a screamer, and she wasn't really after her first sort of infatuation with the Doctor was not mooning over him at all and uh, you know i i i enjoyed the run with with amy and rory i thought i thought that for two and a half seasons which is actually quite a long time in modern doctor who terms i thought uh i thought it was a good ride and i i and honestly i think it was probably enough and i think it's time for something new yeah i agree i really i grew to i grew to like them a lot i mean i like i thought amy was pretty good from the get-go rory starts out as kind of a wet blanket and then they kind of realize they need to you know give him something and i think starting with the second matt smith season He's in a better, does a much better job. Yeah. Um, and I think they, they give him some really fun stuff to do, which I enjoy. And the, the dynamic, I think he, Arthur Darville and, and uh, Karen uh, Gillen and, end up having really great, they have really great chemistry. Yeah. And I think they clearly really enjoy working with each other and with Matt Smith. And that shows. And I think that, for me, was always the best part of it, was seeing these these two companions who are fairly get fairly capable and fairly used to this idea of traveling around with the doctor, but are there to keep him sort of grounded. And I think that that relationship worked really well for me and I will be, I will miss them. I wish their, their ending itself had had more, a little more weight to it. I mean, to me, the, the gold standard of companion leavings was the Donna Noble. I agree with Glenn. That yeah. one to me is always just the most heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and I wanted it to be more of that level, and it wasn't. But I, as a, as a whole, as their run went, I I really enjoyed them. I'm, I will be sad to see them go, but I look forward to seeing what's next, and hoping that maybe freeing us from them will give Stephen Moffat a chance to try some new stuff, and maybe we can get back to some <laughs> some some better better quality stuff. I had to go and watch the uh, opening of Demons Run the other day because I want to remember that. Terrific scene. That was, I thought, Ar- Arthur Darvel's best moment. I feel like, I wonder if the actor, they didn't know how entertaining he would be, what the chemistry would be like, because they introduced him in sort of passing, and you figure he's the he's the schlamazel, he's going to get sloughed off, and Amy's going to go off with the doctor, and we'll fall in love with him again, and whatever. And then you see, he was so funny and so good and so different. I feel like they 
I don't know if this is true, but I feel like they then made him have to be badass and live 2,000 years and have that memory. So that opening of Demon's Run where she's talking to her uh, Melody as a infant and saying, you're, you know, this man that is known across the galaxy, he lived for hundreds of years, and they know him as a centurion, you're like, oh, that's pretty funny. Like, and then he shows up and I have a message from the doctor and a question you know, for myself. And you're like, that is a great, that is one of the best openings of any episode that ships blow up and it's the siren man. And you're like, and the doctor's not even involved. It was great. It's my Scott McNulty thing. I never warmed Harari. Ah. Never. He never won me over. Like it's, and it's not because the actor, the actor is great. I just think his character, they never gave him enough. uh, Like his character was too much of a wet dish rag. Like he had good noble intentions, but he just never, he never asserted himself, even when he was supposed to be asserting himself. Like in many points in the plot, if you were to explain the plot, here's where Rory does X, Y. It's like, oh, he's totally asserting himself, but it didn't. It didn't play out like that. So I, I never warmed to him as a character. I think he worked in the context of the three of them as companions. Like that, that trio worked. But I like Rory is not like, oh, hey, he's a cool guy. I liked him. Like I didn't like his character. Uh, and Amy, I liked Amy. I I liked Amy the most when she had self-doubt. That's the Amy character that I liked. Like, the spunky, sassy one, I like to think that mostly was an act, and when she started to own that, as if that's the real her, I don't know if that was completely earned. I really like the Amy who really doubts whether she's doing the right thing or who thought she was crazy because she saw the Raggedy Man when she was younger, and that all her her doubt about everything, uh, you know, about is she doing the right thing with her life, who should she be with, should she be doing this at all? What you know? That's the Amy that I liked. So I think she went out just as the last ounces of Amy's self doubt was being squeezed out of her. And it's kind of a shame too, because I th- like I still think back to the episode with the old Amy, where she got left there for thirty years and she was all bitter. And Amy was never given those kind of scenes, and like it, she she stretched herself in that episode more than she did in most of the other ones. So I think she's a good actress, and I would have liked to see her used a little bit better. But overall, the three of them mostly work together as a trio, but I'm more than ready for them to sail off into the sunset. It's time. On a pirate ship. Uh-huh. Rory is a dope, and that's my main problem with him. He is just... He, he doesn't do much of anything. He's just there. The wet dish rag. He, he is kind of annoying. He's still annoying. He's less annoying now that I guess he's dead uh, for the 11th time, but... <laughs> Ouch. And I am... I, not a Rory fan. Still not a Rory fan. And I'm not, I'm kind of lukewarm with Amy, too. I just, I don't, I don't know. I guess they're better together. You're going to like the hot new chick who's replacing them. Well, she's a Dalek, so maybe that'll be exciting. You know, Scott, I'm disappointed to hear you say that, because I, I've always thought of you as our Rory. Oh. Well, I am a dope as well. Maybe that's why I don't, <laughs> I don't like also, him. Also, I've killed Scott uh, seven Scott times. Scott asserts himself way more than Rory ever did. And you really live in 1938 hmm. as well, so it's perfect. That's true. I don't know. I just always felt like he's kind of just a sad sack that he's just kind of tagging along. He's the third wheel, or he's, I guess the fifth wheel. He's uh, the, me- the third wheel is a tricycle, so that's he's fine. The, uh, Curtis has no wheels, so he is the wheel. I like his father. I vote for Rory's father to be the next companion. I do love his father. Rory's Rory's dad is great. Rory's dad was great. Yeah. So who's going to tell Rory's? Uh, Rory's dad. Yeah, that's and- what I thought. That was the part I thought I wanted to see that after after the end of the Power of well, Three. Like Blink, right? I, I want I want uh, I want that Blink ending where where um where uh, Sally Sparrow gets the letter from her friend who's been sent back in time. I wanted that. I wanted like River Song. To oh, I, bring- I wanted the Doctor to have to go tell him. 
Like, I wanted the doctor to have to look him in the face and tell him, like, yeah, I kind of screwed up. Imagine River bringing a letter uh, from Amy to her parents and and uh, from Rory to Rory's dad from the past saying we Is, we had a good life. Parents, you know, that's right. Aren't her parents dead? I, no, your, be great. No, her parents never exist. No, they do exist. They got reimagined, reexisted. <laughs> Except then they never get they never get seen again. No. They were your parents. <laughs> um, no, I'd like to see River go to Amy's no parents sense. and say, "Well, I'm your granddaughter, and your children died at ages eight. And her daughter died at eighty-seven <laughs> of old age, uh, not that long it's ago. Fine, yeah, it's fine. Died of Perfect. old age, uh, but I am your granddaughter, even though I'm a good life. Sense, yeah. No, I mean I maintain oh, that yeah. that I would love to have seen a scene with the doctor having to tell Rory's dad what happened, um, just because I think that would have had more emotional weight to it. Because we saw the previous episode where he's like, take care of them. And it's like, yeah, it turns out not so much. Oh, they lived they, again. They were not killed by Daleks or Cybermen or anything. They just lived their lives and then died of old age. In a hotel. No, 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 no. They're not in the hotel. They're just, they're just back when Scott McDulty's era solving crimes. Right. And, you they know. opened a detective agency and I'm writing a series of books about them. All right. <laughs> there you go. <sighs> All right, well, that brings us to the end of our, uh, I guess, twice a year now since they split the season. Uh, recap of Doctor Who, Doctor Who seasons. We'll be back at Christmas. If I will be back at Christmas, yes, or at least Scott and I'll be here, but not Scott's mom. Nope, she won't be here. She doesn't like Doctor Who. No. Uh, but I think I can go out on a limb and say that our summary of this five episode stretch of Doctor Who is disappointing. That seem fair? Yeah. Yes. Bad but fair. There's so few, they have to be good. And when they're like this, you think I know. I mean, you know, <laughs> we all know his predecessor as showrunner, Russell T. Davies, was going, you know, practically killed himself writing these episodes, and some turned out uneven, but on the whole, the arcs and everything else were you could argue about them, whatever. There was some great stuff in it. And I feel like Moffat is burned out. He's got either too much going on or he is just not pulling it together because these feel like drafts instead of final shows and they shouldn't with, with this few episodes a year. Let him concentrate on Sherlock. He already slipped up one episode last quote unquote season of Sherlock's. Let him concentrate there because I, at this point I like Sherlock so much better than Dr. <laughs> Very <laughs> funny. Yeah. But even fewer episodes less often. <laughs> I know. Well, but still like he, he got, what did he get? Two out of three good ones last time. Yeah. So now if he gets like one out of three, once he gets zero out of three, it's like, well, now they're on even footing. <laughs> All right. So thank you to my panel for this nice discussion of this show that I love and that is disappointing me greatly. Uh, it's good to have you with me to confirm my feelings that I uh, my feelings of unease. <laughs> We're we're uh, all John so, Syracuse on this episode, not yeah, all Scott. Yeah, really. We crossed the threshold. There's yeah. no doubt about it. And like uh, like in Spartacus. Yes, I am Syracuse. I am Syracuse. I'm not. He's over there. <laughs> oh, Scott ratted you out. So I would like to thank my my many John Syracuses. Uh, John Syracuse himself, thank you for being here. All I could do, the least I could do. Yes. Well, you Literally. watch you watch the episodes, so you gotta get something back, something out of it, right? Yep. Dan Morin, uh, John Syracuse number two. Thank you. Timing, Jason. All about the timing. It is all about the timing. Uh, John Syracuse number three is Glenn Fleischman. Thank you. I like to think of myself as John Syracuse B side. All right. From a parallel universe. Exactly. 
and not John Syracuse is Scott McNulty. Well, I'm just glad to hear that you think of me as the Rory to your Amy, Jason. <laughs> oh I didn't my. say I didn't say who Amy was. Jason is the prettiest. Well, that's we true. know who Amy is. Yeah, it's Glenn. Look in your heart. So until next time on The Incomparable, this is Jason Still signing off. Thanks, everybody, for listening. There's no reason for them to be walking around these places. They're just in New York, so they have to show up. I was waiting for them to end up at Katz's Deli eating a sandwich. They should have. And then a Dalek could have said, I'll have what he's having. Yay, Dalek impression. (laughs) (laughs) Condiments. Eggs. Egg salad-ate. Consumate, consumate, consumate. And then they... And then they went to a spa. Exfoliate. And then Uh-oh. the Dalek died. Yeah. It was sent back in time by an angel. <laughs> Death of the Dalek. Yeah, well, I want to see the Daleks fight the angels. Ultimate, ultimate. Well, no, no. We need Westerns Daleks. We haven't had Westerns Daleks. We've had Nazi Daleks and New York. Wait, do the Daleks wear hats? We've had Art Deco yes. Daleks, but we haven't had Western-themed Daleks. Some people say that that Dalek is still there. The sheriff of the town. <laughs> That I would have watched. I would have watched that episode. <laughs> a town called Exterminate. <laughs> These Dalek impressions mark the end of this episode. Thank you for listening. <laughs>